Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Now, for those of us who've been journeying with us for some time, you may know that we've been jumping in and out of a, different, a couple different series. So the first series that we were in before the last series that we were in was in the diagram. There's a Venn diagram. I didn't prepare that. The first series that we were in was called the Book of Acts, and it was to the ends of the earth. We didn't name it called the Book of Acts. We were just going through the Book of Acts, kind of chronologically left to right. And then we felt the Lord leading us really strongly to preach into an area of foundations. What is our identity in Jesus? Why does he matter? Why are we here? Why do I go to church? Why do I care? Et cetera, et cetera. And we felt that that was such a powerful series for us, working through different things in church life. And so I'm going to throw you guys a curveball because I'm going to combine those two series. Are you ready? Now, if you have like any... uh, like series titles you want to give us, like you can send it to Reese. You can be like, Reese, this is what the name of this little mini-series right now is called, okay? Does that sound good? Reese at, oh, you just we won't send it to him. Okay, so we're going to go and do that right now. So I'm going to launch from a passage in Acts. Hey, come on up. Yeah, sure. Wow. It's okay, here. I'm going to launch from a passage in Acts, and we're going to go into a story about foundations. This is not my kid, but their, their parents are watching me. You go back to your kid or your parents now. Okay. There you go. Give Amelia a hand, guys. This is Amelia. So as you think about everything that I've just explained, I want you to picture your favorite vehicle, your favorite car. I want you to imagine yourself in this dream vehicle. Maybe it's blue. Maybe it's red. Maybe it's yellow. Someone up here, you look like a Toyota Prius kind of guy. (laughs) I can see it. Maybe it's super fast like a sports car. Maybe it's uh, super durable like a pickup truck. Maybe it's super practical uh, like a minivan. And uh, our family, Rochelle and I and our daughter Ivy, who's sleeping right here, uh, our family's growing. We're expecting like our second child any day. It's like any time. So if I leave abruptly, it could be for that reason. So we decided to finance a minivan. Does that sound good to us? Yeah, so the dream's over. <laughs> Especially with like gas prices and, you know, this thing, this thing's not lean and mean, right? And I was, uh, Rochelle asked me to go down to the storage locker to pick up our uh, uh, install, I haven't done this yet, sorry, our second car seat for our, our incoming baby. And I haven't done it. But it reminded me of when I first was installing the car seat for our daughter, Ivy. So uh, for those gentlemen who don't know, you should learn before you go to the hospital how to install a car seat. It's a little complicated, right? There's these like flaps on the top. And like if you don't press the flap right, it won't unlock from like this base. And sometimes that flap is covered by like cloth and you got to stick your hands in. And then there's this like latch at the bottom to like loosen or tighten the straps and it just was like, so I had, to, I had my phone out and I was watching YouTube videos after our child Ivy was born to try to figure out how we could get her home. <laughs> now, if you don't have kids, you can still relate to this story because the fact you're here is probably because your parents buckled you in. So I don't buckle my golf clubs in the car. I don't buckle my hockey equipment in the car. I'm not protecting our minivan with Ivy on the front of it, right? She's our bumper. 
I'm protecting my family within the minivan. I think from this story, we see things like we really protect the things that are most precious to us, right? We really protect the things that are most precious to us. Moreover, on that trip, we, we came back to our condo and we carried Ivy up a car seat, up our elevator. She slept in our room. We were feeding her. We were spend, I, well, mom fed her for the first bit. And then we, we were spending time with her. We, now we pray for her. We have her here with us. And so from this too, we also see we, we invest in what is most precious to us. So we to protect and we invest what is most precious to us. So if you don't have a minivan or maybe you ride the bus, which is totally fine, we may not feel like we are living these extravagant lives in Vancouver. Some of us might be. But the very act of living in the city feels like a sacrifice sometimes, right, in terms of the different pressures that are on us, in terms of fighting for Jesus in a place where Jesus may not be represented. We feel like, man, I got to, just even to be here is a grind. And that's why we want to talk about this topic today. And so I love to pray for us to kick us off. So would you join me as I do that? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for going through different books like Acts. And I thank you, Jesus, for being able to be found in you. As we've walked through in Alive in Christ, our foundation is in you, Jesus. And I pray, Jesus, this morning that your gospel, your good news, the promises of hope and of a good future would be solidified us, in us and you would help us know how to live. Jesus, I pray, release us. Holy Spirit, I pray, would you pour yourself out into our hearts that we would be afraid of nothing, that we would be anxious for nothing, that we would be wanting of nothing, that we would be longing to see nothing but your face. I pray, Jesus, where we came today not expecting to encounter you, I pray that you would shape and shift that expectation right now. I pray you'd wake us up to understand what it means to be children of God, what it means to follow you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you fall in this place? Would you fill our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. So our launch pad in the book of Acts is like two verses. It's about a guy named Barnabas. We heard about him. It's in Acts chapter 4. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, Thus Joseph, who was, also called, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so we see this person, Barnabas, whose public reputation is being for God and for others. His nickname is called the Son of Encouragement. And I found this super inspirational that I was like, I got a launch from this text today. I asked the question, what's your name? What's your nickname? And my name's Ben. And what's my nickname? Ben, do you have any nicknames? Uh, not really. I don't know. Benny? <laughs> my real name is Benjamin. So what does that say about me? This guy was named this Son of Encouragement. I wonder if Barnabas had any immediate family. When he sold that field, I wonder what it cost him. It's not clear that he did. I wonder what the impact of selling that field and giving it, laying it to God's family. Later we see Barnabas risks his personal reputation for a guy named Paul, who you guys may have heard of. If you don't know who Paul is, he wrote a whole bunch of letters in the New Testament, which is the scriptures, the word of God that we look at and we read. So Barnabas vouches for Paul after Paul is known as being an ex-murderer of Christians. Barnabas helps establish the sending church in Antioch, and Barnabas risks his life alongside Paul to share the good news of Jesus throughout the Mediterranean, the known world. What a guy, right? And I want to know, what is the secret 
to be like Barnabas? What is the secret to being called Mr. Encourager? I feel like so many of us, like, we just love encouragement. We just lack it up. We go, like, it's like someone encourages us, like, no, I'm done. You can stop. Yeah. You can stop. My, joke, my dad and I have this joke where, where someone, like, talk, or he, talks, he talks a lot. He, he likes to joke around. He says, he's like, oh, you know, I've talked a lot about me. Um, do you want to talk about me? <laughs> you know, when we're sharing, you know, I've talked a lot about what I like. Do you want to talk about what I like? Yeah. Could you imagine being with someone who's like, man, I just want to encourage you. I just want to talk about you. I want to enjoy you. So the question I had from this text is, what's the secret to being like Barnabas? I don't feel like I'm that. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm naturally that way. How can Barnabas live so radically? And so the question for us is, how can we live that radically? How does that impact the way I think about our minivan or our condo or our immediate family or our daughter, our precious daughter, Ivy? And so we're going to see from this launching into foundations, this other text, now we're leaving Acts, we're going to see a point, and the point is that radical faith in God inspires radical sacrifice for God. And so, friends, Barnabas knew the secret of having faith in Jesus, and that set him free to give much to him his whole life. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. This is our base text. We're going to go from verses 1 to 14. It says in Genesis chapter 22, after these things, God tested Abraham. Abraham, for those of you who don't know, is like the forefather of the Jewish nation, but also of our faith. His promise is extended to all of us, as we'll learn. So after these things, God tested Abraham, the Bible says, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He, God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and took, it, took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father! And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. So let's stop there. We'll pick up the story again. We'll go all the way to verse 14, but let's stop there. There's a lot, a lot has happened. We see already that God knows what is precious to us. God says in verse 2 to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And some commentators translate the your only, your only one as your precious one. This is why it reminded me of our precious daughter, Ivy, who we buckled in a car seat. The Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. It's written in Hebrew and in Greek, but the Greek Old Testament translates whom you love, the root as agape, which in, in that language, agape is like an intense 
word of who you love. So God's not denying that this is a precious and loved person for Abraham. He doesn't deny that we have precious things. He's aware of it. And that brings me some sense of comfort, that God is aware of what we love. God knows what we need. In our culture, you may be familiar with like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like physiological, safety, shelter. I forget the other ones. You guys know. Love, there you go. The Bible talks about all of those things in different languages, different words. It care, Jesus says uh, he cares for the birds. How much more will he care for us? So God knows about our needs. What about wanted things? You know, I was a kid, I played Nintendo 64. I just did not want to share that with my brother, playing Goldeneye. But there's also a sense of concern of God asking us to give back to him the things that we genuinely care about. He's not just asking for our broccoli or our lima beans. Maybe you guys like that, but he's asking for our whole selves, the things that we think are most precious. We get a sense already from this passage that a life of faith in God has all things up for grabs. Anything that's precious is on the table. And for Abraham, Isaac is obviously precious emotionally. There's this father-son relationship. It's like when you take that newborn home from the hospital, you drive slow. But it's even greater than that for Abraham and for the entire world because Isaac is uniquely precious eternally because he is the first human son of God's everlasting covenant, which is an agreement of trust between God and Abraham, an agreement of obedience. Isaac is a miracle. But to know this, you need to know a little bit more about your history. So in Genesis chapter 11 to 20, God talks about this story a little bit more. Abraham's wife named Sarah is barren. She cannot have kids. But by an active work of God's power, she conceives. And a year later, after visiting Sarah and Abraham, he said, the angel of the Lord says, next year you're going to have a son. But this was scientifically impossible. This is just before our passage, read from Genesis 22. Genesis 21, one chapter before ours, Isaac is born. So this is fresh news. Isaac has arrived. The problem has been solved. What was impossible with man is possible with God. A dead promise is now alive. We've seen that God is faithful and his promises are true. This is Abraham's life. The miracle baby is here. But then God says, give him back. So we see that God tests us to reveal what is really most precious to us. Verse 1, after these things, all the things that I just talked about, God tested Abraham, the Bible says, and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Picking up in verse 2, which I read, go to the land of Moriah and offer him Isaac there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. I wonder how you would feel in that moment. The word test that is used in Genesis 22, which you've just been reading about, is used a couple other times in the Bible, three times, the exact word. And each time, it's a test to reveal the heart of what's going on in our hearts. In Deuteronomy, when the people of God, this is after that some time has passed and the promise has come true and Abraham's people have developed into a nation, have escaped Egypt. They're in the wilderness. And it says in Deuteronomy, and you, 
this is talking to the people of God, shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. It's the same word, testing you, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so friends, I think we're, we're presented in this passage with this hierarchy of preciousness, this thermometer of what is most precious. Like as it goes up, these are kind of ways in which we can try to understand this hierarchy of what is most precious to us. The hierarchy of our heart. Now this may not be known to us. And so one of the things that God might do is take us through things to help reveal what it is that we love. Because what we love is revealed by our actions. It's revealed by our feelings and our fears and anxieties. What we protect and what we invest in, where we spend our time and our energy. So there are positive opportunities for us today to understand where things stack up in this kind of precious thing hierarchy. So God's test reveals that Abraham has radical faith in God. Abraham has radical faith in God. For Abraham, because God is completely trustworthy and his promises are always true, he can be, he can be trusted with Isaac. Because God is good, faith in God is the most precious thing. Faith is precious. Because God is holy, trust in him is the highest on the thermostat. Because God is righteous, we can trust him with our very lives. So it says in verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men and his son Isaac. He cut the wood. He laid it on Isaac. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, here's the donkey. I and the boy will go over there. And I, I kind of emphasized it when I read earlier. He says, and come back again to you. And come again to you. So Abraham is demonstrating, before he's even acted, Abraham is demonstrating this radical faith in God. Yeah, I'm going to obey. Because Abraham believed God and it was given to him as righteousness before he did any work, right? So you see how the gospel works? Is that we believe God, and then he asks something of us. And then when we show that that faith is genuine, it reveals our heart, right? It's not that God asks you, hey, by the way, you need to take Abraham and slaughter him before you, I'm gonna be in this covenant with you. The covenant, the trust, the agreement between Abraham and, and um, God was established before this. The sequence is important. In verse 7, it says, Behold, the fire and the wood, but there was a lamb for a burnt offering. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself. Again, so before he's even come down, he says, God will provide for himself. God will provide. So when God asks for things, it comes with that sense of assurance. Hold on a second. Let me process this a little further. Because we see that Abraham's radical faith in God inspires radical sacrifice for God. And this is why launching from Barnabas to like the foundation of what it means to be a Christian is so important. Abraham's radical faith in God inspires radical sacrifice for him. And here are the verses I haven't read. In verse nine, it says, when they, Abraham and Isaac, came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, that, in, in, in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. So what is going on here? 
What is Abraham thinking? I mean, I'm going to bring it real close. Ah! You know? Hey. We see in Hebrews chapter 11 commentary on what exactly is going on. And so when, we, when I was joking around at the very beginning about jumping in between series, one of the things we did in between those two series is we did this last week. What was last week that we celebrated? Easter. Easter. And in Easter, we celebrate what? That Jesus is risen. In the back, can we say it? Jesus is? He's risen indeed. We just celebrated that last week. We're going to celebrate that today, too. In this awesome way, we see this, this alignment across God's word about celebrating this, that it says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. God has the power to raise Isaac from the dead. Easter is possible. Hebrews chapter eleven seventeen 17 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, there's our word again, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring, offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham knew that the initial promise of God was dead as long as his wife Sarah was barren. But Sarah is no longer barren by way of God's power. She gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old. And the way of women was well beyond her. So the promise is kick-started alive. So now Abraham is forced with this decision again. Will I trust God with this promised child? Abraham knows that the promise of God is dead with Isaac forever slain. But Isaac himself is the son of God's everlasting promise of power. So what started in power continues in power Abraham trusts that God is able to provide. God would even raise him from the dead. But this requires radical faith. Because what Abraham has seen God do in the past, he has not yet seen God do in the future. But this is faith. Faith is believing in what God will do in the unseen, trusting God with what is invisible. And so how does the story continue? God is good, friends. God spares Abraham even from the trauma of having to slay his son to prove that he can raise him from the dead. He stops him. He stops Abraham. And instead, God provides his own sacrifice for sin. Verse 11 says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And so friends, we, we see throughout scripture that God's heart 
is not for needless sacrifice of things that we love. God's heart is not to sacrifice children. Throughout the scriptures, we see that anyone who sacrifices a child is an abomination. God is for children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and anyone who causes little children to stumble to be thrown in the ocean. And so what God does is he provides a lamb which requires no more sacrifice. And this, friends, is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus is the son of God, the son of man, of the lineage of Abraham, the fulfillment of the covenant promise of God. Hallelujah. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist points at Jesus, his cousin, and he says, behold, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And at the end of that gospel, it says, the author John says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. As he's laying on that cross, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And so friends, Abraham was looking towards Jesus, what he was yet unable to see. And chronologically speaking, just in terms of time, historically, we're looking back to the cross. But that does not mean that the cross doesn't point us forward. Because there is a promise for you. And we talked about it a little bit today already. And that brings us back to the book of Acts. Right, we're back. Jesus said, wait for the Father to send the promise, the Holy Spirit, who fills us with power. And so the gospel isn't just this story of being saved from something. The gospel is rooted in God's power for the miraculous to unfold. And so God sends, by the power of his Holy Spirit, the church on mission to change the world. And that church is what we are a part of. Just before that Barnabas passage, I read from Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Let me read a description, two verses before, of the church. In verse 34, God's word says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. And friends, we see by precious, by the most precious faith in God, we entrust all precious things to him. When we understand the hierarchy of preciousness correctly, we are not crippled by the loss of something that is somewhat precious, temporally precious. We are not overly precious with things that are not overly precious, but we are precious about the right things. Now, in the West... In our Western world, I'm a, which we, I, I live in, we live in. This is the, the water we drink. I feel like there are a couple things I wanted to name today. I feel like in the West, time is precious. I feel like commitment and sowing and investing in things is, is very precious to us. We take that very seriously. I feel like our finances, our, our money is something that we think is very precious. We hold it very close. Maybe we buckle it up in the seat of our car. What we learned from this passage and what I shared about earlier is that family is precious. Our little ones are precious. 
That's her crying right now. <laughs> and the gospel speaks into each one of these things to different degrees. In the context of faith, I want you to hear what Jesus says. About time, Jesus says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come, the time where he will return or the time where you will pass away. About money, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we learn from Abraham, the testing reveals what our heart, our areas of our heart. And as I just read, family is precious. And this is, this is the one that I think hits home the most for me personally, given where I'm at in my family life cycle with a 14-month-old and a new one coming about family. Someone asked Jesus to come back and listen to that Mary, his mother, was wanting him. And he replied to that man, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And Jesus, stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And friends, we see a redefinition of family in the gospel. This isn't just a theoretical thing for distant lands. This is for real families among us. And I think the challenge for me when I was thinking about how, we, how I think about like a Barnabas, about sowing into the things of God, is for the first time in my life recently, and many of you guys are parents and you've been parents for some time, so bear with me because I know this has been your cross to bear for some time. This is new to me. I feel like when I'm giving, let's say, to the things of God, sowing into the church with some of our finances, that Rochelle and I are like, yeah, we work hard for this. It's like I feel like it's almost as I'm taking it out of the mouth of Ivy in the sense of like taking it for, what's that, Peter to Paul, whatever that expression is or taking from Peter to pay Paul. It's like, how does this work out in God's economy that his, my immediate family is not my only family, that the promise of the Holy Spirit isn't just for the Samson family, it's for each family in the world to hear that the gospel is for them, that God's love is radical, that he wants to change the world with the good news of the gospel, that we need to sow into what God is doing. And that may come at great personal cost to us, even with the things that are most precious to us. And we see that the sacrifice that God gives and God demonstrates with, I, with Abraham and Isaac is not a sacrifice for children. It's a sacrifice, not a sacrifice of children, it's a sacrifice to children and to his kingdom. So this trade-off is like, the question that I'm now asking is, what kind of father does God want me to be to my children? Does he want me to be a father who loves God and inspires faith in our family and doesn't put our trust in what, in what is temporal, but sows into the things of God because I understand the hierarchy of preciousness, that God has power to give all things back to us. And to wrap things up, I thought um, I was reminded of this book, which many of you have, may have heard about. It's called The Lord of the Rings, and it's a fantasy book, but it speaks so strongly to our culture. One of the characters uh, named Gollum, he has this love-hate relationship for this ring of power. And do you guys know, maybe some of you know, do you know what he called that ring of power? My precious. And some of you guys are actually uh, 
on the stream. If you can't hear, some of you are imitating that noise. It's kind of creepy. My precious. And what I think, uh, why I think this story, uh, Lord of the Rings, which is fantasy, is actually so prophetic in the West and people have gobbled it up is because it speaks directly into our situation. That we are held captive to the wrong precious things. That precious things in the wrong order have power to destroy us. And so friends, the application to us today is to get the hierarchy correct. Our response of God's testing of Abraham is to inspire us to evaluate our values, to trust God with our most precious things. God's promise to Abraham empowers us to radical sacrifice, to sow into the purposes of God, to get stuck in. We're talking about membership in the church, to be like Barnabas, to be like those who said, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I don't understand how this all works, but God, you are so good, and you are so kind, and you are so gentle, and you fill our hearts with such faith for the things that you're doing that I want to get behind it. A radical sacrifice to give whatever he asks for, for his kingdom advance. And so because God is good, because he is fully trustworthy, and his promises are true, everything is on the table when we come to know him. And this is radical. And this is not easy. And this is not easy. But this is powerful. And this is liberating. I wonder if in, in response, all of us could just stand. And team, if you have a, a short song or something, you guys can come up. And I think our hearts cry from a passage like this is to be reminded again of the order in which Abraham's story develops. It develops by God speaking to him, Abraham trusting him, God healing his wife, God giving a gift to him, God empowering him, and then God asking to come on a journey with him. That's the order, friends. And so for us today, from this text, we have permission to go through that process. Let's go through it. God's speaking to us. God has promises for us. That promises are to be a part of a great nation and many people, to be knit in to the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Once we're a part of that promise, in the New Testament, we see that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I just love to welcome the Holy Spirit here that those of us who don't know him or feel like we need more power in our lives to overcome things that are maybe too precious, that the Holy Spirit would come. And so I wonder if, if is that, as we walk through this story, if you felt, you know what, there are definitely things in my life that are too precious, that have power over me, that when I dwell on them and when I think about them, they cause anxiety and they call, cause fear. And instead of causing freedom, it caused me to despair. 
And I wonder if we could give those things over to God. So if, if, the, if there is those precious things in your life, I wonder if we could just lift our hands up and I just love to pray for you. It's one other thing I love to pray for. Just giving these precious things back to him. Maybe it's our career. Maybe it's, maybe it's our future. Maybe we don't have a family and we really are longing for kids or a family. Maybe it's something that we're really struggling with in God. We've prayed for, we've waited many years for. We felt like God has spoken to us about. Maybe it's about giving of our finances to God and saying, you know what, God, I am just scraping by in this city, but I am trusting you with the little that I have. And I pray, grow my heart, Jesus, for being a generous person, for not being too precious about what I have. So yeah, I'm gonna call on the Holy Spirit right now for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you, you would fan into flame faith in us to believe that you are so good, you are so for us, you are so trusted, you're so trustworthy. We sit under your authority, Jesus, in this place. I pray, God, where we are feeling crippled by stuff and by maybe our immediate family, where the needs of our family, where the love of our children prevents us from stepping into your promises. I pray, God, that you would give us an ability to know how to parent for those of us who are parents. I pray, God, for those of us who are making great decisions about a future, that you'd help us and give us wisdom in Jesus' name. And then for those of us who are really just asking for faith, just the, 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 or at the starting point of this um, journey, just love to pray for that as well. Just love to pray for that faith to well up in our hearts. And trust in God. Now God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much, Jesus, that you can be trusted fully. I thank you, Jesus, that when we see that you gave up your life for a people who didn't deserve it, that we receive the fullness of the promises of God. I pray you well up faith. I pray for those of us, Lord, as, we, as was shared at the beginning, that repentance needs to occur. I pray that you'd, you'd uh, help us to repent, to see where in our lives we are sinful, to call on you, say, Jesus, we give you everything. As we sung earlier today, Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.